Welcome to CUCC's Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. All the men, 20 years old or more, who were able to serve in the army were listed by name, one by one, according to the records of their clans and family. The number from the tribe of Reuben was, the number from the tribe of Simeon was, the number from the tribe of Gad was, and the number, and the number, and the number, and the now you get where the book gets its name from. Numbers. Because at a couple points throughout this book, there is a census taken. The Israelite community all stands to be counted, to be numbered. And, and you might be interested to know that the book's original name is Bamidbar. It's a Hebrew word which means in the wilderness, which to me is a way more attractive title. Right? I would buy that book. So this week, we begin a new series on the book of Numbers. But if you've been with us for a couple years, you know that we aren't necessarily starting something new this week, but we're continuing a grand narrative. Two years ago, we went back to the beginning of the beginning, and we read through all of Genesis. Last year, we went through the book of Exodus, and now we're going to do it quicker. Right? Genesis, we did in like 32 weeks. We're going to do seven weeks on the book of Numbers. You guys can do it. So let me tell you a little bit about this book. First, as you might already guess, uh, Numbers is a little more complex. It's just a little bit more complex uh, literature than some of the stories we've been reading, which means we may have to work just a little bit harder to find the layers of meaning within its pages, but I promise you they're in there. There are pieces of ancient time-tested wisdom in these pages that can and will speak to our life and world if we tune into the spirit and if we, we allow our minds to be present to these words. So, helicopter view of this book. It is a book about God taking Israel on a journey through the wilderness to the promised land. We're picking up right where we left off in Exodus, the people are at the foot of Mount Sinai. The book is organized around three locations. It starts at the foot of Mount Sinai. They move to Paran, and then finally Moab, which is just outside the Promised Land. Right? So these three locations, it's where much of the book takes place. And then there are stories of two great road trips as we move between them. Now here's the real kicker. Their journey only needed to take two weeks. Does anyone know how long it actually took them to get to the promised land? Lori got it. Yeah, I heard a couple. Forty years. <laughs> Forty years. Horgrass, can you imagine the kids in the back of the car asking if we're there yet for 40 years straight? <laughs> 40 years of wandering, 40 years of waiting if today might be the day that hardship's finally over, 40 years to, to take a sigh of relief. And without trying too hard, we may have already found ourselves 
in this story a little bit. Have you ever lived through something? Something that totally disrupted your life? And the worst part was you didn't know when it would be over, how it would be resolved. You just had to keep swimming. Recently, I don't know, maybe a global health pandemic that initially you thought would only take a couple weeks to resolve, only to find out that it was in fact going to take months and months and a couple more <laughs> months to get a handle on it. Anyone else been on a wilderness journey before? Anyone else feel like, like they've wandered and waited for something better to turn the corner? Yeah, it's, it's all in here. What do you do when things take way too long? It's in here and we're gonna get to that stuff. Today we have just a couple lessons to glean from um, and uh, right, uh, two less than exciting opening chapters, but there's still some stuff in there. As the Israelites are about to embark on this dramatic voyage, they have one big question to ask themselves, and that's what kind of people are we gonna be? Right, from what will we draw our identity, and to what are we gonna give ourselves? Up until the point in, in Numbers, they're simply a, a disorganized group of, of ex-slaves coming to grips with their new freedom and their new connection to God. But if they're gonna settle in the promised land, if they're gonna make it through the wilderness, they're gonna have to start organizing themselves, bringing some method to the madness. And so, as Todd read for us, I'm so impressed you went through it all. They began with a census. Now on the one hand, participating in a census, right, standing up to be counted, it, it earns you something. Right, it's, it's official, you're on the books, you're in the club. You now have a people, you have a place, your name is on the list. A willingness to stand up and be counted, it offers the privilege of belonging. And friends, as many of you know all too well, when you're stuck in the wilderness, when you're going through something, you're gonna wanna have a people and a place to belong to. Right, just for a, a visual, raise your hand if you've ever had a community help carry you through something you didn't know you could do on your own. As a, a lot of you. So, with standing up and being counted, you receive the privilege of belonging, a people and a place but don't sign on the bottom line yet because while standing up to be counted earns you all of that good stuff, it also places on you the responsibility of commitment. Once you've been counted, once you start cashing in on all of that belonging, you're responsible for contributing. You're responsible for showing up, for being there, for being a part of what's going on. And, and the truth is, as many of you have learned, the more you commit, the more that you put back into and, and contribute, the more it becomes your place, your people, right? The, the deeper the sense of belonging comes. And so we read in the first chapters of Number that every last one of them stood up to be counted just as God asked them to. They were about to go on a journey, one with, with no apparent timeline and no reasonable route. And the first thing that they decided was we're in this together. 
right? Let's get organized. Let's get numbered. Each of us will take on a task because it's going to take all of us. It's, it's a lot of work to set up a tabernacle, right? An outdoor worship service week after week after week. Thanks be to God, we will not be doing that for 40 more years. And friends, I think there's, uh, there's, there's a lesson in there for us. Both in our personal life and in our communal life as a church, it's worth asking ourselves, for what are we willing to stand up and be counted? Right? Are there areas in our life in which our enjoyment of the benefit outweighs our commitment and contribution? Do we have any relationships, friendships, partnerships, right, where we get a lot out of it, but don't really put that much in? Do we have high expectations at time for what church is supposed to do, supposed to be, supposed to offer us and our families while not spending too much time reflecting on what we could, should be offering? It's worth thinking about. It's worth considering. This year, I wonder how many of us stood up for the teachers in our midst. Have we, pondered, have we poured into our teachers as much as we have expected from them this past year? I highly doubt it. Joe, this has been a super low pressure year, right? With tons of parental affirmation. Okay, are there any teachers or school administrators here with us? Can you stand up for a second? Oh, yeah, we were going to get there. So how about we all stand up and join in an uncomfortably long standing ovation for our teachers and administrators? Thank you. we've learned anything this past year, it's that we're not always in control. Tragedy, sickness, pain, and sadness can strike at any time. And when it inevitably does, there will be nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, as comforting as having a people and a place to belong to. But you can't wait until you desperately need the benefits to begin contributing. So family of God, we're willing to stand up and be counted together. But there's more. I didn't want to ask Todd to read the entire second chapter as well. But I think we should go there. You see, the Israelites stood up to be counted. They committed themselves to each other as they embarked into the unknown. But you may have been doing the math as Todd was reading. And needless to say, there's a lot of them. And so they need to figure out where they're going to sleep, right? Where they're going to set up their tents and how they're going to move as one unit. I'll give you just a little taste of chapter 2. We read, The Lord again spoke to Moses and Aaron. The Israelites will camp each under the banner with the symbol of their household. They will camp around the meeting tent some distance from it. On the east side, towards the sunrise, will be the banner of Judah's camp with its military units. The chief of the people of Judah is Nashon, Aminadab's son. His military units and those enlisted in it are 74,600. Those camping on one side of him are from the tribe of Issachar. 
the chief of the people of Issachar is Nathaniel, Zur's son. His military units and those enlisted in it are 54,400. On the other side, the tribe of Zebulun, the chief of the people of Zebulun is Elab, Helon's son. His military units and those enlisted in it are 57,400. All those enlisted in Judah's camp with their military units are 186,400. They will march first. And the chapter goes on and does that four more times in as much detail. The camps to the south side, the camps to the west side, the camps to the north side, which begs the question, west of what? Right? On the north side of what? And you maybe caught a bit of it at the beginning of that reading. But the answer is in the, the north side of, of the center. In the center of the camp, we find the tent of meetings. It's the place where Moses meets with God. We also find the Levites, the priests, and the tabernacle. Random placement? I don't think so. Right? Everyone's tents facing towards the, the physical representation of God's presence among them. It's an image of alignment, of communal focus, and also of priority. If there was an attack on this group, the tabernacle, and the priests would be defended on every side. Anthropologists always speak, they, they often speak of, of two types of community. We got two anthropology majors, I think, right? Yeah. Two types of community. Edge-bound communities and center-bound communities. Edge-bound communities are defined by rigid borders, right? By lines drawn that separate insider from outsider. The obvious example are nations. A less obvious example would be a, a family. When it comes to family, you're either part of the family or you're not. You're either an ancestor of Reuben, Simeon, Gad, or you're not. Edge-bound communities have a strong sense of belonging, but they're extremely hard to enter. Right? They're not always the most welcoming to outsiders. On the other hand, you have center-bound communities who are not defined by borders or ancestral belonging, but by common cause, shared interest, right? communal mission or vision that's so strong that it draws people into the center. Center-bound communities have a strong sense of purpose and identity, but their membership tolls are a little more ambiguous. Insider and outsider dynamics matter far less than accomplishing the shared mission. So what kind of community are the Israelites? On the one hand, they are a pretty extreme edge-bound community. You're a descendant of Abraham or you're not. You are God's chosen people or you're not. They chose to organize themselves with tribal boundaries. And, and the truth is they have little or no plans to, to be picking people up along the way. And as you keep reading the Bible, you realize that this dynamic is hard to shake. Even the early church doesn't quite know what to do with Gentiles, a.k.a. anyone who is not a descendant of Abraham, because their edges had been, had been set and defined so clearly. And yet you, you read the way the camp is arranged, and it's as if they're just beginning to identify their center. It's as if it's God is just starting to demonstrate that their, their ultimate glue, 
right? Their purposeful distinction is not their ethnicity, but their connection to divinity. The Bible is, a, we said last week, a progressive revelation. It's a journey towards God, towards reclaiming and reimagining our own goodness. And the Israelites, wandering in the wilderness, are starting to have their identity shaped by the God in the center of it all. And so we finish up this morning considering what our center is, right, what your center is. Do you have a center? Do, where do you draw your sense of identity, your sense of purpose from? Is it, is it from the things that you're not or the things that you are? Right? Are, are you motivated by not being like them or by becoming more yourself? What's your center? Where do you draw your sense of purpose and identity? Is it setting up walls and picket fences, or is it bringing to life the many things that you've been called to, regardless of how many people choose to join you on the journey? What's, what's your personal center? And what about us as a church? Sometimes I wonder if we, not just us, all churches, if, if we are more of an edge-bound community or a center-bound community? Are, are we defined by membership or mission? Are we motivated by numbers or by impact? Have there been times when we unintentionally use our past, our ancestry or traditions, our, our committees or clubs as, as cultural boundaries? that make it hard for others to break into. I, we, we certainly do at times. But not, not because any one of us want the church to be an exclusive, edge-bound community, but because we're human. In seasons of transition, uncertainty, a search for new identity, it's only natural. It's only natural to recede a little to a place that feels safe. Sometimes we need a moment to gather ourselves in the safety of belonging so that we might count some resources, right? Gauge who's ready to stand up and be counted. And then, right, and then go at the true mission with everything we have. Friends, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from or what your background or tradition is, no matter where you find yourself on life's journey, you are welcome here. There are no walls or barriers to you finding belonging here. We are a center-bound community that welcomes all who are drawn in to the larger purpose. We are a center-bound community community, connected, this is our mission statement, connected by our love of God and neighbor, striving to bring worship, welcome, and justice to life the best we know how. That's our mission. That's what we've placed at the center of our camp. We're not a country club. We're not a political extension of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. We're not the moral police. We're not a place to purchase religious services. We are worship, welcome, justice. Sure, like the Israelites, we might find ourselves wandering in the wilderness at times, setting up tabernacles week after week after week. We might find ourselves on the edge of something altogether new, ready to, to re-enter the promised land, so to speak. And we might need to take a moment 
We might need to, to number our resources, to invite people to stand up and be counted upon. But not because we like numbers, not because we feel called to counting, but because one day, one day, my friends, the, the Spirit of God will lead us into something new, and we all want to be prepared to jump all the way in, knowing that there's a crazy, committed, center-bound community that's going to jump in with us. Next week, Todd will continue the story with us. We're going to find out that God, the God at the center of the camp, is not stationary or static. In fact, God's on the move. And what do you do when your center moves? You follow. You move with it. Friends, keep turning in. I promise we won't have a scripture reading like that one again. That was just special for you today. Keep tuning in as we journey alongside the Israelites. We may find ourselves in the wilderness right now, but that's not where the story ends. God has something much larger in store for us. Amen? Amen.